Welcome. Hello. Good day. This is Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that unpacks infertility and different pathways to parenthood. I'm your host, Millie Brooks, coming at you from the San Francisco Bay Area. Today, we're talking with my friend Katie Sexton all about her egg retrieval in which her doctor collected 99 eggs. 99 eggs. You guys heard me. I said 99 eggs. What the <laughs> what? Katie, I am so glad you're here. But, um, oh, okay. One more, one other thing about Katie is she's also an IVF baby. And I think one of the first IVF babies to ever come on the show. Katie, welcome, welcome. It's so great to have you. Thank you, Millie. It's fun to be here. Um, so a little background, Katie and I met through a new mom's club in the Bay Area and instantly connected when I told you that my daughter was an IVF baby and you shared that you were an IVF baby. Let's just start there. Growing up, what did you know about your conception story? Um, yeah, tell us. Yeah. So, um, I knew pretty early that I was an IVF baby and it was mostly told as um, a loving, you were wanted so much kind of narrative. Um, My parents met in law school and they were together for um, about eight years, maybe more before I came along. I know they were trying to get pregnant for eight years. um, And my mom had 12 miscarriages which to me is just unbelievable that they kept trying. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. And IVF was just becoming a technology. I understand. I was born in 1988. um, And so they went to the one clinic in the New York City area that was doing it at the time um, up in New Rochelle. My dad likes to... um, tell the story because even for IVF at the time, the success rate was, I think, 10%. So we've come a long way since then, uh, thankfully. And um, my parents got pregnant the first IVF cycle with me. Um, So I was, you know, they were, they would always say things like how I was their miracle baby, which was mostly, as I said, loving and nice and sometimes a lot of pressure. Oh my gosh. I didn't even think of that side of the the equation. Yeah. Like we wanted you so badly, so don't fuck up. (laughs) You better make this life worth it. it. Yeah. You better make this parenthood thing a dream. And it turned out I did not, spoiler alert, um, for various (laughs) reasons. But my first six months, I was very colicky. So. Okay. Okay. With a colicky kid of my own now, I, I I feel the karma. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I'm sure you made up for it in other ways. I mean, mm-hmm. you went to law school, so there that, you go. Yeah, you know, yeah, I did. I did go to law school. Yeah, that looks pretty good on them. <laughs> they can yeah. take credit for that. Exactly. Um, and funny, um, which I've heard a lot, but my parents were fully th- going through the adoption process when they did finally got pregnant, which I guess is a relatively common occurrence and, um, had chosen or been matched with a, um, expectant parent and their friends in New York ended up adopting this baby boy. So I know or knew 
um, this sort of alternate me in the world. Um, wow. Because when they got pregnant, they matched their friends with this expectant mother. And he ended up growing up, you know, a parallel life in New York City. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That, that's sort of a beautiful resolution if you're not able to, you know, proceed with the adoption because something else came, you know, because you got pregnant, you know, being able mm-hmm. to find a, another match is pretty wonderful. Yeah, I think, you know, things were a little faster and looser in the adoption world in the 80s, but... Oh, yeah, it was the Wild West. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it's still a little, you know, you got to be careful and, you know, check off a lot of boxes. But, yes, along 30 years ago, it was... um, You're so nice to saying I'm 30. (laughs) That's very nice. (laughs) I'm 32 going on 95. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's get into it now. um, Okay. Well, let's get into it. But before we get into it, give us a little backstory to your journey to parenthood. Um, Because you went through IVF with your first marriage, correct? Correct. Yes. So I was, um, I grew up in New York, as I said, New York City. Um, and went to college out east, went to law school, and started practicing. Um, and I got married my third year of law school. Um, and we decided to start trying for a baby my two years after that, I want to say, so 2016. And I went off the pill, which I had been on um, like a diligent girl since I was 15 and started thinking about having sex. Um, and I just never got my period. Uh, we waited and I took those ovulation sticks, you know, religiously and that, that blinky face on that clear blue test that doesn't ever say peak. It just always says hi. And that, that stupid face will haunt me. Um, because I couldn't figure out why my estrogen was so high that I wasn't ovulating is what it seemed to be saying. Um, And this went on for about six months. Um, And I think part of me just assumed I would have an IVF baby because I was an IVF baby. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though, you know, science doesn't, would say that that's not accurate. I I just sort of resigned myself to this being my my course. So we went um, to the fertility clinic and I was diagnosed with a either PCOS and or hypothalamic amenorrhea. So um, they sort of said, you know, you're not ovulating. We can't really tell why. You have a lot of follicles. It could be PCOS. Um, so let's, you know, try. Were you the... getting a period at all? No, no, mm. no period. For It ended up being a year by the time we started the process that I had not, um, that seemingly I had not ovulated and I had not gotten my period. Um, okay. So they tried me on Clomid, nothing. My body wasn't budging. They tried me on a trigger shot, again, nothing. Um, Mm -hmm. And they suggested that we skip IUI. My ex-husband's sperm analysis was fine, so there was kind of no reason to stop there. Um, Mm -hmm. And we started doing IVF in August of 2016, Um, and I remember that because I did my 
first weekend of shots um, as a bridesmaid in one of my best friend's weddings in the bathroom at her wedding. Um, oh, so I wow. Kind of, that, that, <laughs> what a party. What yeah, a party. Right? Yeah. Everyone else was uh, having a great time and I was, you know, shooting up in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so the stimulation cycle seemed to be pretty normal from everything I had read and the protocol was pretty standard from what I remember. It's amazing how I could have told you all the names of these drugs um, at the time. And I can't remember, you know, Folosome maybe. Is that a bird drug? Uh-huh. Um, I think it, I think there's a T in it, but it might be <laughs> silent. I don't know. It wasn't on my pro- yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but I remember thinking like, this is a pretty standard thing. And as we got closer to the retrieval date, I could feel, um, what felt like kind of tennis balls where my, um, ovaries would be. And I was assured that was normal. Um, I didn't feel great, but I didn't feel that bad. Um, and we went in for the retrieval. It was in, again, I think late August, maybe early September. And I remember waking up and, you know, you're out of it when you come out of, the drugs. Totally. And I think I asked six times how many eggs. And every time that they said 99, I just thought I was still really high. I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, then I'd nod back out, wake back up. (laughs) How many eggs did I get? And, um, my husband at the time was like, Katie, they, they told you it was, it was 99. Um, and then cue all the like, type a New Yorker overachiever jokes that followed. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't quite realize uh, how extreme it was until the doctor came out and said that it was a clinic record. Um, I mean, that must have been a world record, like beyond the (laughs) clinic. I think you, I think you surpassed um, uh, every clinic from, you know, Maine to Spain. There you go. Yeah. I mean, this is a huge clinic in New York. So if you're going to get the top, I guess this is a good place to do it. Well, so, I mean, during, let's back up to when you were doing the monitoring, did your doctor seem concerned at all at the amount of follicles that was, that were being produced? You know, they didn't. I remember um, hearing like 20s, maybe low thirties when I went in that they could see. Mm -hmm. And, um, that seemed high, but totally manageable. And, Mm -hmm. um, like I said, my symptoms were relatively fine. I was going in for the daily blood draws and no one seemed tipped off that this was unusual. And even the PCOS diagnosis was still kind of ambiguous. So I think they weren't expecting anywhere near the numbers. Um, yeah. And when I woke up, you know, they seemed concerned that it was 99. Um, and by the time that they had told me six times and it had sunk in, um, <laughs> they the time I realized I wasn't dreaming being, anymore and that I wasn't being punked. Right. <laughs> um, they definitely started doing some management around like what my symptoms might look like down the line. And that was where I had no knowledge really of ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. I had no idea what was coming for me. Um, that was the piece that was really rough, not the actual 
stimulation and retrieval, that all was fine. But the recovery from it was pretty dramatic. Um, yeah. Having been pregnant now, I, I can say I truly looked probably, I don't know, six months pregnant for the next two weeks, just yeah. the amount of fluid and well, when I had my egg retrieval, they retrieved 34 eggs. And I just remember the day before my egg retrieval, like having to carry around a cushion to sit on all Yikes. the time. Because it was yeah. just like, like there was no more space mm-hmm. in my, you know, below body. my, yeah, in my body, yeah. below my navel that these eggs could grow to anymore. Like there was just no right. space. So um, like, do you remember feeling that at all? Like, let's talk about the recovery period. Yeah. So the recovery was terrible. I mean, there's no better adjective, um, or rosier adjective for it. And, you know, I, I took the day off of work because I thought, okay, I'll go back tomorrow. At the time I was a trial lawyer in New York city. So on my feet in court every day, um, at legal aid and, I thought I'd be back at it the next day, and it took uh, two full work weeks for me to get back to work. Um, I was in bed. I was nauseous, you know, even with the Zofran and the um, painkillers that they had me on. It was, you know, six months pregnant, belly. I had an emergency. I sent my ex-husband out on an emergency run to target maternity to get me anything that would fit over the belly. Mm. Um And I didn't end up needing to get my stomach drained, which a lot of women with OHSS end up having to do. But it was, I was on the border of needing to do that. Um, Yeah. And the swelling just, you know, I think it was 14 pounds of water weight in the first 48 hours. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's a lot to carry on your body. Yes. Unexpectedly. Yes. But I didn't have that feeling that you're describing for before, which is what made it so alarming. Um, mm-hmm. And I do remember, I remember the tennis balls that I could feel through my body um, on either side where my ovaries were. But the rest of me felt pretty normal. I was in court that day. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. it was a, you know... It was definitely out of left field. And every time I would call the clinic and say, you know, I'm still not feeling great, um, they would say, well, you know, 99 eggs, it'll it'll calm down. And, you know, it eventually did. But I think it took probably six months for me to have my hormones stabilize. Okay. And to feel like you were back to some sort of place of normal. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's a, my story is so tied up then with the end of my first marriage that normal took a lot longer. Um, so it's hard to know what to attribute to the end of a marriage or to the IVF, but my hormones were definitely, uh, controlling for the next year easily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and they wanted to do the implant or what, what is it? The transfer. Um, Mm -hmm. immediately. I mean, they said I, my was physically ready after, the gen, the normal, I think two to four week waiting period, um, after the retrieval and something in my mind and definitely something in my body told me that that was not a good plan. Um, and again, it's hard to detach that from also realizing that this was probably not the right person for me to become a parent with, um, or that I wasn't ready to become a parent, but I said, no, 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 let's wait. 
and pushed the transfer to November of that year. So another three months. Um, and by then it was clear that we would not be proceeding with the transfer ever, but we had, you know, then you have these, in our case, we had 24, I think, embryos. Day five tested. Wow. Embryos. Wow. So I guess like what you're saying is the recovery period from IVF sort of overlapped with the deterioration of your marriage in a way? Correct. Wow. Yes. That must have been like, oh, Katie, I mean, how did you survive? Where did you go you know, to? I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I mean, IVF is hard enough, and then to go through it and realize that this is not the person you want to start a family with—that's monumental. Yes, um, and in some ways, I credit IVF for that. You know, I was not in a place in my own life, you know, putting my partner and that aside um, to be a parent. I was so stressed at work. I was um, drinking way too much. I was drinking way too much coffee. I was not eating enough. Um, I was exercising like a mad woman. And my body just would have been a very inhospitable home for an embryo. Um, And then now knowing what I do um, about parenting, it, it really, in a lot of ways, is a blessing that I did not move forward, stopped the train, got off mm-hmm. and, you know, changed routes. But it was, I mean, listen, I can't sugarcoat it. It was probably two years of deep soul searching, a lot of heartache and like a totally new beginning, a kind of reboot to the whole thing um, mm-hmm. that definitely started with the IVF. Um, mm. Well, trying I to navigate- you, you hear that a lot. Like um, going through fertility treatments definitely tests people's relationships, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine going through it uh, like what it would have done to a strong relationship um, even seems hard to imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then being shot straight into parenting, like – that track to me seems almost harder to navigate than the one I did, which was, okay, pause. Let's rethink this reboot later. Yeah. Wow. And so you said 24 embryos? Yeah. Something like that in the low twenties. Um, all, yeah, all day five tested. Um, and then you have the question, right, when a marriage ends and these embryos exist, what do you do with them? Well, that's what I'm saying cuz some of that's like one of the que- one of the million of questions that you have to answer. Yep. At, you know, in the paperwork, what what did you end up doing with those embryos? So we decided to donate them to science. Um I, you know, we toyed with the idea of donating them to families, but that just seemed Um, like it would have been a little bit too far for us given that we weren't going to be using any ourselves. Um, that makes sense. And so we donated them to science. Yeah. Uh, we both have extremely curly thick hair. So my friends always, um, joke, like, what are they going to do? What is science going to learn from your embryos other than like more about curly hair genes? (laughs) Um, I was like, I don't know, but they're, they're using them for something. So, um, (laughs) They're going to come handy for something. Yeah, exactly. Someone will use them for something. 
And yeah. it was actually shockingly easy, you know, sign on the dotted line, gone. And I think they went to one of the big hospitals in New York and that was that. Mm. And I mean, being, I mean, back to, I'm just like, I, I still can't get out of my head 99 eggs. And um, it's just like, it's just like imprinted all over my brain right now, um, like tattooed. And I mean, being an attorney, did the idea of medical malpractice ever cross your mind? It, you know, it didn't. And I think it didn't because everyone seemed so shocked. Um, and these are doctors that have done this thousands of times. Um, and from where I sit today, I don't feel much anger about what happened. Um, because of the outcome, right? Like I, you know, hindsight, Mm -hmm. but I do think, you know, objectively looking back on my life then and knowing what I know now, which we'll get to, um, I probably didn't need to undergo IVF. First of all, second of all, I definitely, I probably could have used some different protocol that was, you know, less intense clearly. Mm -hmm. Um, and timing, healthy lifestyle changes, other things could have worked in my particular situation, I think. And none of that was talked about. We Mm -hmm. jumped very quickly to standard IVF protocol. And I think that was as much my fault as anyone's. I really wanted this result. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be pregnant. And, you know, and I think now I can say I wanted to be pregnant as a way to try and save my marriage. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was very focused on get me pregnant quickly, any way you can. Um, so if someone had told me to cut back on the, you know, Starbucks venti iced coffees, I would have said, you know, fuck that and <laughs> yeah. let's do the IVF. Right. So whose idea was it? Who was pushing the agenda? How it was getting done? And the just shock from everyone. Um, yeah. I thought of us all being contributors as opposed to medical malpractice per mm-hmm, se. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you were you you were pressing the gas full speed oh, ahead. Yeah. I yeah, there was no there were, you know, speed bumps that they offered along the way, including IUI, including, you know, waiting six more months to see if I got my cycle back naturally. And I was like, nope. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Well, and fast forward to today you're in a new relationship and have a son who was conceived naturally. Um, what yes. did that feel like? Did you anticipate having to go through IVF again with Matt? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So my uh, husband and I got married in February of 2020, right before the pandemic. And almost immediately, I had us signed up at um, one of the fertility clinics in the Bay Area. And we went through all the testing and, you know, they said similar to what was said before in New York, um, where it looked like I might have PCOS, but we wouldn't really know. And it might not affect my fertility. So I should just, you know, pull the goalie when we were ready and see what happened. Um, and I should say I had switched at this point off of the hormonal birth control and onto the copper IUD. So I did have a sense that I was getting a cycle, but it was anywhere from, 45 to, I don't know, 90 days. So very irregular, long cycles. Um, I assumed we would at the very least need some sort of 
uh, trigger shot or timing. Um, and we, I went off birth control in July, July 7th, I believe of 2020 and never got my period and thought, well, yep, we know how this goes. I don't get my period. We start the IVF. I had a date booked with the clinic for, um, to take the pill to induce my period so that I could start the protocol. And right before I took that pill the day before, which was August 17th, they said, you know, it's been six weeks. You based on your blood test, we really don't think you ovulated, but go ahead and take a pregnancy test. Cause the last thing we would want is for you to accidentally, you know, abort the pregnancy that you actually want with this pill. So I took the test and was pregnant. So I had not gotten my period because I had conceived naturally the first cycle, which what is what? mind blowing. Like I would yeah. just be flipping every table that I came across. <laughs> yeah. And I joked that, um, my son like very much wanted to be, uh, born and has proven to be a very impatient, very enthusiastic human. So he was just ready to come. Um, but it was, I mean, it was completely surreal, especially being told by the fertility clinic, we don't think you ovulated, like Mm -hmm. we're ready to go with IVF. Mm -hmm. Um, so to then be pregnant, I mean, there was definitely a lot of anxiety at the beginning of the pregnancy that this was definitely a fluke. How could this be? I think I peed on, I kid you not, probably 50 pregnancy tests. Wow. Because um, you just couldn't believe it. No, it was insane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's just like, I mean, looking at your life then and looking at your life now, what does it feel like to look back on your IVF experience? I mean, you know this as a new mom. I've like barely had time to reflect on the fact that I am a mom, that it, thinking back to that feels so surreal. And, um, you know, I'm coming in hot to record this podcast coming straight out of therapy, which is at 11 on Mondays. Oh my God. Great time for therapy. Right. Great yeah. I was like, time. let's really unpack all of this in like a two hour span yeah. while we have postpartum doula here. Let's <laughs> <laughs> let the emotional chips fall where they may for the rest of the day, but we're going to get into this. Um, <laughs> I've, I've had therapy on Fridays before. Not as great. Not as great. No, because I knew the whole weekend you got that emotional hangover. Yeah. yeah. And, and also, you're you're kind of in a good place on Friday. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, there's nothing. You're, like, you're kind of ruining my mood, lady. Yeah. Like, there's nothing that really bugs me on Friday because it's Friday. <laughs> Do you think it's still Friday, though, with a baby? I don't know that days matter anymore. I, you know, psych- like, psychologically, I think it does. It feels like, oh, something great is going to happen, but then mm-hmm. I'm in bed by 8.30. And you wake up on Saturday and you're like, oh, it's the same thing. <laughs> oh, it's just Saturday. Cool. It's just farmer's market day now. Although June's a partier. I mean, you never know. Oh, she, she, yeah, she really lights up, you know, <laughs> on, a, on the weekends. There you go. But it, all that to say that I, you know, I haven't thought much about IVF in this context. And uh, I think I tried a lot during my pregnancy to explain to my husband that because of IVF, I was feeling much more anxious about the pregnancy. Mm. You know, to him, it was like, 
you pulled, you took your IUD out. We had some sex. You got pregnant. Like this is all going exactly how it's supposed it's to go. Just and, so it was so straightforward. And in my mind, it's like this is going exactly how I never thought it would go. Mm-hmm. So something, the shoe's going to drop, right? Yeah. And that was the way that it impacted me during the pregnancy. Um, how it has impacted me as a parent, I'm less sure of. But again, I'm. I'm most days I'm just shocked to be a parent still. So yeah, it it's a trip, man. It is a trip. <laughs> it is. You know, I'm also so sleep deprived that I like sort of feel drunk all the time. So there's that. <laughs> Everything's just sort of trippy. And you're and you're sober. Like that that says a lot. And I'm a sober person. Yes. Yep. Oh man. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't say that I think that getting sober. Um, and working through some of my disordered eating from my younger years, I, I, that has to have worked in my favor. Um, just to be in a better place within my body. You know, who knows if that's a mental thing or a physical thing or a combination of the two. But I definitely had a better home set up yeah. for an embryo to thrive. Yeah. Yeah. And do you um, – I mean – I don't know. Was there any resentment at all? Did any resentment come up towards your body after like, I mean, I would just feel like my, this was like the biggest, the biggest game ever played on myself, (laughs) you know, like what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, I could come up with resentment for almost anything. Um, especially when it's resentment of myself, but yeah, I was pissed at my former self. Um, why, you know, why force myself to go through that if I quote unquote didn't need it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and the truth of the matter is I did need it then my body was never going to do what it did, you know, how many years later, five years later, naturally. Right. Um, right. And again, I was so laser focused on this result and this happening in a timely manner, um, that I couldn't see that, other things were out of whack that were just not going to make it work. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Was I mad? And I definitely got mad at the doctors. You know, I, I don't think it was malpractice, but looking back, I'm like, guys, how did you, even when you're in there, like maybe don't take all 99. I don't know. Do you have to take them all? I don't know. How this works. <laughs> Couldn't you leave some just <laughs> like, really? I know. I just imagine like Mario brothers, like trying to collect all the coins. All the coins. It's like, don't be so greedy. Leave a coin or two. <laughs> <laughs> like you're wasting time. You know, you're 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 potentially going to lose the princess at the end of the cave. <laughs> but like you're, you're just so my language. focused yeah. on getting those eggs within those green bricks. You know, like maybe uh-huh. you could just move forward. Move yeah. on. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean – is there anything else that I haven't asked you, Katie, that you feel like maybe is super important to the context of your story? Um, just one thing I was reflecting on today. So I, I sort of alluded to this, but my son, um, he is so lovely and delightful and also colicky and a difficult newborn, like just objectively a hard newborn. I mean, we have these mom's club brunches and I'm like, you know, everyone's babies are blinking and smiling and mine is like screaming. <laughs> Katie. 
and also making adorable noises and just being the life of the party. But what I, what I think about a lot is people that go through IVF, go straight into parenting and then still have the hard baby. And it's like, I got pretty damn lucky this time around. I had a great pregnancy. I had a great birth and this shit's hard. And so I think having gone through IVF and imagining what that would have felt like as the precursor to pregnancy, birth, baby. I just think people are fucking tough, man. And I don't, I don't know what I would have done had that been my journey. So getting that pause and getting that five-year break on my body, um, it's still hard to to handle. Press restart in a way and reboot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think people are warriors who go through it straight through. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. If folks want to connect with you via the interwebs, how can they find you on Instagram? Um, on Instagram, no judgment. This was a uh, drunken decision in Miami. My handle is <laughs> K-Sex. Yes, S-E-X. And then the number four. Um, so K-Sex 4, which is my name, but is also a drunken decision that happened in Miami. Well, I, you know, (laughs) I don't even, I don't even have a good quippy thing to say for that. That's just a great (laughs) place. It's just what it is. (laughs) That's just a great place to end the episode. Um, thank you again, Katie. You're the bomb. I can't wait to see you you again, um, at our, another play date. Yep. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week. 